You know, I remember once a woman screaming at us, calling us animals as we dragged her son from their hut. But we weren't animals. Animals are true to their nature. And we had betrayed ours. I cut that young boy's throat myself as his mother screamed and my friends held her back. That night, I felt so shame. Shame was so heavy on me, I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. All I could do was stare into that dark sky and listen to that mother screaming her son's name. I'll hear her screaming the rest of my life. I know I can never bring that lad back. All I can do with time I've got left is bring a little goodness into the world. That's all any of us can do, isn't it? Never too late to stop robbing people, to stop killing people, start helping people. It's never too late to come back. How do you feel about our pairing of chapters today? Usually, I feel like there's tons of parallels between the chapters that we've got together, especially as we're going through our reading order. But I felt like, aside from the obvious parallel between women and Westeros, there wasn't a ton of parallel between the two of them. I thought it was one of the coolest pairings that we've seen so far in the Feast of the Dragons. Really? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> maybe not thematically because there were so many wonderful parallels, but I think that we, we tried to do that a lot when we were creating the reading order. By the way, thank you for listening to Game of Owns. This is another episode where we're talking about the books. I know that the season is coming and the con is coming, but uh, it felt really good today to dive right back so into good. the middle of the reading order. Yeah, so good. Daenerys and Brienne at one time. Yes. I mean, that's, I mean, that's I mean, cool. Yeah, I mean, that is cool. And like, these are both characters that we really, really love. And I think that they both offer a really interesting and different perspective and also if i recall correctly the last brand chapter that we did i felt like it was kind of boring and slow and because so many of her chapters tend to be very thematic but i really enjoyed this chapter that we did with brian and i don't know if it's because like you said we've been on con hype we've been thinking about the season and all that kind of stuff so it's been a couple weeks since we've been in the series but i thought both of these chapters were really nice to dive into it, it kind of feels like studying up and recording an episode of you watch the throne because it puts you into that past landscape that decorates where they currently are either at the end of the books or especially now leading into the seventh season and just looking at what george was doing when he was laying out daenerys and then laying out brienne ahead of lady stoneheart depending on whatever that ends up manifesting in the show we know how it manifests in the books and we all have theories about where it goes i just i've Brian's last chapter, I understand the lead up to the combat, but the combat and what happened at the Whispers must have blew your mind. I think I remember oh, when we were recording it. It was just it was just visceral and it really picked up. It didn't stop much from the end of that. And so we've been separated by weeks in the reading. And so if you're listening and it feels like it was a while ago, if you're reading chronologically and you're not waiting for us, it doesn't really feel like it was that long ago. And Heil Hunt is already tying the hair strands together and slinging the three heads over the back of the horse. Gross. So gross. They like, what are they, like 100 feet ahead of him or behind mm -hmm. him so they don't have to have to deal with it? But in the midst of our Miranese conflict, Daenerys takes a meeting with the great green grace calculated and with the plan his star's just waiting downstairs it turns out mm -hmm. she's not thrilled but she's i guess like, in the great pyramid serious? it turns out everyone except barristan is waiting downstairs yeah even dario <laughs> this chapter i really liked this chapter a lot and i think that so we're right in like the heart of the miranese knot and i think that taking the time to try to think about that instead of rushing through has been an interesting experience for me because I think it's so easy to kind of get jumbled up in it and just kind of try to get from point A to point B, which um, there's a couple interesting things Barristan mentions here about just leave already and get to Westeros, which I thought uh, was funny yeah. and all of us at the same time. <laughs> but, but I think there's a lot of interesting like themes that we can pull of Danny's entire storyline from a couple of different interactions that she has with his Darza Lorak and Dario and Barristan. There's just a lot of great 
players in this chapter. And so I really enjoyed a lot of their back and forth that, that Danny has with them. She's being consistently put up against, you know, these decisions that are going to affect so many people. And she doesn't quite have as much of a moment as to say, how did I deserve this burden, this mantle? But I feel like she's thinking it. In of all course, she's always thinking it. Yeah. She's always thinking it. Well, even in the very beginning, so the very beginning of the chapter, we have uh, the Green Grace or Glaza Glare. Galare? Hmm? Galare. Something. <laughs> Some cool swaggy name that's cooler than any of ours, who's there to have a conversation. And she asks if Danny's been, or they ask if Danny has been sleeping because Danny looks so tired and she almost laughs to herself because, and then she goes on to list <laughs> all of the millions of things that she's got going on that are of a stressor. And so as, as you said, she may have not outright in this chapter kind of talked about the weight of her mantle, but it's very visible to visitors and to her that, you know, I w- if, if none other than the harpies running wild, and that's only one thing on the many list of other conflicts going on, she's really got her hand full right now. Yeah. It was all Danny could do not to laugh. Not well. Last night, I don't have a good Danny voice, so I'm just going to read it normally. Not well. <laughs> Let me give it a Last night. No. Three nope. Carthian galleys <laughs> sailed up the Skahazadon under the cover of darkness. The mother's men loosed flights of fire arrows. By the way, this is what you're supposed to know that is happening. Mm-hmm. If you only watch the television show, you're not getting this feeling from many scenes at all, let alone in Marine. This is what's happening right now that Danny's sitting in top of the Great Pyramid, you know, choosing to deal with. The mother's men loosed flights of fire arrows at their sails and flung pots of burning pitch onto their decks. But the galleys slipped by quickly and suffered no lasting harm. The Carthian mean to close the river to us as they have closed the bay and they are no longer alone. Three galleys from New Geese have joined them in a carrack out of Tolos. The Tolosi had replied to her request for an alliance by by proclaiming her a whore and demanding that she return Marine to its great masters. Even that was preferable to the answer of Mentaris, which came by way of caravan in a cedar chest. Inside, she had found the heads of her three envoys pickled. Perhaps your gods can help us. Ask them to send a gale and sweep the galleys from the bay. The Green Grace replies that she'll pray and make a sacrifice. So, you know, maybe things <laughs> yeah. will work out. That's a lot. I mean, yeah. <laughs> she's got her hands full. And meanwhile, what's like Karth, Yunkai, Astapor, Karth, all the collected scatterings of people that they can hire or convince to help them. And she's dealing with all of the conflict within the city. And the best advice that she can get are from people that she knows that are giving advice to her based off of things that they can get from her. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And and the best advice that we get at the beginning of this chapter is that to solve all of her problems, Danny needs to marry. <laughs> and uh, I love this little exchange that they have. So the Green Grace basically says, well, they do say you need to get married and, and this will kind of hold or help all of your issues. And she says, tell me, can this King puff his cheeks up and blow Zaro's galleys back to Karth? Can he clap his hands and break the siege of Astapor? Can he put food in the bellies of my children and bring peace back to my streets? And then the green grace goes, can you, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's, it's this interesting. I feel like Danny is basically saying she doesn't need a man uh, in this instance. But as we come to find out and as his door, Zolorak, rolls up, um, there's a lot of like political power that because she's not from here, she doesn't have and she doesn't have those connections and things like that. And so with all these problems that are presented in the beginning of this chapter, we get a couple different, three different, I would say, options on how to solve them. Um, and I think it's interesting to compare the three of them because they're all so different. And this is the first one. Which one do you think is the best? Barristan Selmy. Get right. the heck out of there. Just go to Westeros. And go to Westeros. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's the right one in terms of... And, and this is the debate that everybody has, that we've had, that every person reading has had of what Danny should and shouldn't be doing here and what is or is not the best exit strategy. But we all know that the end goal is for her to get to Westeros. So... Yeah, it's like, well, what does she do? Does she f- forsake the the lore of her father? You know, does she forsake her family and strike out east and and uh, marry his dar and you know take full control of a region uh, that she already has control on, but you know it slipped out of her reach and there's warring and there's terrible things happening because of the good things that she tried to do. So there's like two layers of, I want to stay and be a ruler and make things better, but I also want to 
fix all the things that I broke. Right. And meanwhile, she's got Barristan in her ear saying, like, by the way, you know, to fix your problems, the things that you're worried about, the people coming upstairs and talking to you, the man downstairs that's giving you confusing feelings when you know that, you know, there's a certain future that you should have. It's just all of these weird lessons that she's going through. Mm-hmm. And uh, like you said, they're all they're all doable. They're all manageable. Like her problem isn't what can I do to give my life some kind of purpose? Her problem is I've got all this purpose. Which purpose do I pick? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Which is the best one? Right. Because I'm not the only one this affects. Like she said in this chapter, she said a queen, you know, doesn't live for herself. So her feelings about Dario and about, you know, her, her personal regard on some of these matters, it doesn't really matter. You know, mm-hmm. well, and and his story kind of reminds her of that as well, and having her laying out for her the repercussions of what she's done with slavery and slave trade in the area again, because that's his you know whole mo. But um, every action that she has has a lot of consequences, and more often than not, those consequences don't necessarily reach her. And so, kind of having that perspective as she's deciding on. What is the right step to take next? She's really walked into a perfect storm here. And Mm -hmm. at the same time, she's not even figuratively. She's literally put her dragons in a dungeon. And in this chapter, we touch on the fact that Viserion is broken out of his chain. The the door becomes red hot and the people that, that feed them you know, are scared. They've always been scared, but they're more scared now than, than they've ever been. We've got, we've got rapings happening in the city to freed women, murder, you know, run amok. All the stuff of the harpies that we're used to hearing about is still happening. And it sounds like it's, it's reaching kind of a, a, mm-hmm. a boiling point. And now with Dario back and then the situation happening with Dario, the way that it did and her yeah. sending off someone that she can sort of trust, someone that's sort of close to her and that has good weapons and that, like, with all of his shortcomings, he, he tends to deliver good results, it seems. Right. It's a shame that she can't have more people like that and that because of, you know, personal things, she has to limit a lot of her power that she's wielding as a queen. It's just George R. R. Martin really, you know, he, he made this. Uh, a, a question of many things and that's one of the reasons why it's so good and that's one of the reasons why I think it it falls flat for a lot of people in the television series because I don't know if they they counted on it that much to matter. Well it's difficult to kind of pull the complexities of this type of conflict and put it on the screen when we only have X amount of hours you know I think it's, yeah. it's very easy to kind of cut some of this underlying it's not fluff at all but some of this underlying conf- conflict that may seem as unnecessary. What do you think that readers, that some readers who write online about this, what do you think that they find unnecessary about this? I think that, I just think that it's frustrating. I think that this whole, and, and this is, I don't think this is a new idea at all. And George R. R. Martin himself has talked about it, but I just, I think that the situation that Danny's in here is kind of frustrating because she hasn't made a ton of progress and a ton of movement in a while and yeah, I'm, I'm staring at my book and looking at how much longer we have to read in a dance of dragons. Um, she's got a long way to go and there's no real right answer. And there's a lot of questions about the types of lessons she's learned and if she's left things better in her wake or if the way she's trying to do things is the right way and whether or not she should be quote unquote practicing on a different people. I think there's a lot of like complicated thoughts and ideas surrounding her plot in this particular book. Do you think that readers just didn't find those struggles interesting that maybe they just wanted Danny to figure it out off screen? No. I mean, I think that for some people, sure. Like for, for someone like me, my first read through when I'm just reading for plot, I'm just reading to get Danny to Westeros. Then yeah, of course, that's definitely something that I had had in the beginning. But I just think that especially now and I don't necessarily feel this way, um, but I do think that like some of the decisions that she makes and some of the situations she gets herself into are frustrating because, I mean, it's, it's I know this this scene with Barrison was so short, but I just felt like it summarized a lot of how people feel as they're reading through these chapters, which is keep your eye on what you're meant to do. And even, even Dario makes mention to her of, well, what kind of queen are you or, or who do you want to be or kind of what's your purpose. And so I just think that it gets a little repetitive in the types of lessons that Danny is continually having to learn 
while she's here. But I don't necessarily mind it, especially as we're going piece by piece and, and really thinking about all these different key players, because there's a lot and there's a lot of people and places and names and storylines that I think um, make up for what's going on here. And, and I am not one of the people who's smart enough to be able to like parse out every single one of those. But taking a step back and, and going slowly through um, these these times here, make it a bit more interesting and and more intricate in a way that's enjoyable i think not to talk about something that's not too i guess juicy i I don't really know how to put it but then i think the names might turn people off there's a lot of names in there they're sort of similar that's weird and they're kind of long they're hard they're hard to remember it's not weird at all and i've said this before about other things but i think that it's tough you're in you're in a dance with dragons and you there's just like these whole new cast of characters with a whole new kind of language yeah a new kind of language a new kind of culture and a new everything i mean that's it's a lot new rivers to keep in your mind like we know that we're walking with septon maryball down the trident right but when we're talking about the waterways that are blocked by these carthian vessels i can look at maps and and get a good idea and i can appreciate the grandeur of it um but having that 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 sort of muscle memory memory recall of the of the environment isn't there yet and i've you know this isn't my first read through and we live in this so i i I wonder how tough on it like how critical you need to be because with other stories it's just not a problem you know other Mm -hmm. books it's just something that we do it's just something that a lot of really nerdy people like us do we get obsessed with these stories but it is kind of difficult to have a you know a true geographical representation of what's happening in marine and it's a shame because as you go through this chapter like specifically and you learn through these several conversations like especially when dario comes back and starts to tell about all the stuff that he and his storm crows have been doing Mm -hmm. you know like the the epic scale of what's happening to marine and what's happening to all of these cities is is like huge and when you understand it and see it and appreciate it it becomes that much better like we're dealing with conflicts in king's landing and that's great and we're dealing with with stuff in winterfell and we've got we've got old town but we've got we've already got that we've already had that for a while in marine i know it's not or in uh, essos i know it's not westeros but danny has conquered multiple what you would call you know free city you know they're they're big places they have seats of power and she has conquered three of them that's no small feat. Yeah. And she's trying to rule three of them now, almost satellite, while her dragons are doing what they're doing and while she's, you know. In love with Dario. Yeah, in love with Dario and <laughs> dealing with their mis- past mistakes in Karth, you know, not pleasing those people enough and I guess ruining their their commerce. It's just a really frustrating situation for her to be in and, and Barristan is sitting back watching her, you know, go through these romantic struggles. And it's like, well, yeah, she is. Mm-hmm. She's a person. Out of all of the people that we're talking to, arguably, you know, she could she could benefit from having people in her life that want her for other reasons than than murder and and deceit and crowns and gold, you know, for a few minutes, even just right. for conversation. Right. Unfortunately, his dar is not that kind of guy. That's all he wanted to talk about. I know. <laughs> he couldn't even know. he couldn't even kiss Daenerys Targaryen. We've got Euron Greyjoy, we've got Quentin Martell, we've got Victarion, we've got all these just formidable strange men just coursing the world just to mm-hmm. see her. <laughs> and he's not he, what is it? He just she describes it as like a dry yeah. <laughs> kiss. Can can we just give dry and quick. I don't know. You tell me how you felt. Was his dar? I felt like he was turned on the charm a little bit. I, I really like the fact that we get his dar. And also, did I cut you off? I may have. I don't know. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's so interesting to see his dar, Zalorak, and Dario back to back because I think that they both represent these two really different sides of Danny and of what she's trying to accomplish. And I don't think he necessarily did an awful job, especially I I did think it was really funny before he comes up. Danny kind of says to himself, if he mentions his precious fighting pits, she's something about she'll throw (laughs) Throw him off the the stairs. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) which I thought was really funny. But I mean, he comes with this proposition of something that is politically helpful, you know, and he can offer this political piece, whether or not his motives or not motives, but whether or not the way that he can offer peace is necessarily in the right way. But he can offer peace to Danny and he can bring political strength and he can bring he talks about like his ancestry and his heritage. I mean, he's 
he can bring all of these pieces that Danny's missing. And so to see him and the way he acts juxtaposed next to Dario, who's so much more, let's kill them all and more fierce and violent than I think his Zalorak is. It's just really interesting to see Danny interact with both of those ideas because I think that she has both of those inside of her. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she, she um, has almost like a, a human representation of those thought processes and there's a path to walk yeah. down with each of those. Exactly. And like the other right one is Barristan. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 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 So I think that his, his star offers an interesting proposition to her. And I don't think he is quite as charming as Dario is, um, <laughs> but that just maybe because that's how Danny feels about him. But you know, he's, he's honest and he's, he's rolling <laughs> up there doing his best. So my note just says his dar or his, I call him his, his is hashtag deep. <laughs> Say that five times fast. His, his is, is that <laughs> I can't do it. He was so deep in this conversation though. She's like, Hey, how are you doing? Uh, you were downstairs. Now you're here. Uh, I'm sure you know of the rumor that people want us to get married. So what do you think about that? She takes a sip of wine. He's like, well, you know, Everyone dies, so I guess if we're going to get married, we should it's just like, whoa. Well, I love how they're having this very political conversation, and she's like, you haven't said that you love me yet, mm-hmm. basically, in, re- in response to his his idea to fix the slavery issue. She's like, well, you haven't said you love me. That's what she wants to talk about. It's been business all the time, all day. Yeah, he doesn't bring, he doesn't offer her anything that excites her. And I know that it seems like... It shouldn't matter because she's the queen, but she's a person. She's <laughs> so a person. She, yeah. And so she says, and I really, really like this part in this chapter. Um, where is it I'm looking for? She says, in my seven kingdoms, knights go on quests to prove themselves worthy of the maiden that they love. They seek for magic swords, for chests of gold, for crowns stolen from a dragon's hoard. And that's not something that his door is necessarily prepared for or interested in or even part of his culture and so i just think that danny is kind of a romantic and a little bit of a yeah a romantic and i don't blame her for that necessarily you know no definitely not (laughs) same like it's it's, more fun that way yeah so you're gonna get hurt a whole lot more people but (laughs) you know but (laughs) but uh it's worth it so it's a way it's a way to live that's what george is telling us through this book it's like well danny's in charge of a lot of stuff but you know she's also a woman she's a woman and we're all people what do you think about this scenario though like what is it about dario that she likes so much <laughs> so you know I, like are you buying into the to the dario vibe so, like what's the deal there's a line that says dario swaggers in and in that moment <laughs> i go okay yeah, okay <laughs> but so um on twitter we had at heathen king who tweeted at Game of Bones and at Beauty Brianna picture of uh, Dario, which I think that we have showed Dario in our heads so often because show Dario is wonderful to look at. But mm-hmm. fictional Dario, when is the last time you looked at a picture of him and his trident beard? It had been a while for me. It's been a while. I mean, <laughs> so, I never forget it. I never yeah. forget the first time I saw him. But to have that re- recalled back, you know, I don't know what it is about Dario. I think that, so I talked a little bit for a second about like, or, or we're talking for a second about his door representing this one side of Danny, like this more political side of her. I think that Dario very much pulls out this fire and blood that she has in her, the Targaryen side of her, you know, like I think he really appeals to this desire for her to just get vengeance and take what's hers. You know what I mean? That, that yeah. we get just from her family line. And so I just think he has a swagger and way about him that she just loves. <laughs> and I mean, and as a woman, you know, this this sort of volatile unknown when she was like, he'll kiss me so hard. And even if I tell him to stop, he won't. Mm-hmm. And she's like, and so I hope that happens. <laughs> <laughs> There's just so many lines. I don't know. You said that. What did you say about his door that like he Well, I thought that he brought a lot of honestly, I thought he brought a lot of a lot of grace to the situation because it's not a good situation. And I thought that well, it's not romantic at least. I mean it's very political, but that's like the world he comes from. That's right. the the politics of it all. So for him to come from that world and to have the kind of mind, I think, to navigate the conversation enough for her to want to kiss him, let alone consider this at all, I thought he did a pretty good job. 
I thought I'd get a, did a good job too. He said this, and it really struck me. He said, custom and caution had an iron grip upon us until you awakened us with fire and blood. A new time has come, and new things are possible. Marry me. And I'm just like, that's, that's you know, that's a man coming to a woman with some honesty and saying, listen. So that's, to me, it's it's the realest he got. But, mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't mean, like I said, none of these situations are technically bad, but Daenerys Targaryen didn't walk through fire and blood and salt and smoke to you know put herself in situations where they would not be good yeah totally (laughs) it's just that maybe they're not perfect the thing about dario is like she the first part of their conversation was beautiful you know he arrived he's got these sweeping romantic gestures of riding ahead of the column to be there and he was he was upset because he got there only to wait while she talked to some old woman Mm -hmm. he drops every good line in the book and some would think that that's not a good line, but the reason that it's a good line is because she actually likes him back. Mm-hmm. And we get it from her perspective. And so when he says those things, she says things like she always felt a little foolish when she was with him. And I kind of like, I kind of like that. Like, I feel like this whole scene that she has with Dario is very much romance novelly, and I think is played up to be that way. But, you know, I don't hate it. I think that some people have a problem with it. Um, especially just maybe with Dario in general, but I don't hate it when he says things to her, like I have only one urgent need Daenerys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I understand it on both sides, but you know, the bottom line is Daenerys likes him. This is a very mutual thing between them. And, you know, like in the show, I can see the early stages of him pushing away because she's growing past a lot of these what I guess some could consider selfish desires, but I have such a right. a strong stance really against Daenerys beating herself up so much because she does take on so much. I think that, you know, at the, at the end of the day, it would be nice if, you know, the person that she was with, if she chooses to be with someone, is someone that she can feel foolish around. That'd be mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. But he does want her to take a much more vengeful path. And I think that that's something she's been working really hard to get away from and so i do think that it was smart for her knowing how she feels about him and knowing how much he can influence her for her to see that he is going to try to convince her to do this thing that she doesn't want to do which is so his idea to kind of solve all of these problems that she's having is to gather all the great masters in at her wedding and then let dario just go to town Mm -hmm. on them and she just doesn't want that and so she sends him away, which is really heartbreaking. But I think that that was smart of her to kind of look at what she's trying to accomplish. And it was very unselfish of her, you know, um, and to have him not influence her. It's like an early 20s thing, you know, where she just decides, you know what, forget it. Yeah. I'm going to do this because <laughs> it feels dramatic. good and it's the right way. <laughs> you know, that's she didn't want to do that. She didn't. She didn't want to do that. She had Drogo's lion skin on for some comfort. You know, she Mm -hmm. she was dressed and prepared. You know, she approached the situation with an open mind. She didn't go in thinking, I'm going to I'm going to take Dario for all that he is and accept him. She didn't go into it either thinking whatever he says, he's a he's not good enough for me. I'm a queen and he might be X and Y, but he's still not fit to be my husband. She went into it openly and let, you know, the events coordinate themselves out the way that they did and. Like you said, Hannah, if I felt like she discovered that what we just discussed, that it would be not the right thing. It would feel right in a lot of ways. But what she's trying to do is fix this, not mm-hmm. not continuing to create the same problems for herself. She knows that if she does the same thing, she's going to make the same problems for herself. Right. Exactly. Barristan knows that, too. And that's why he's telling her. It, it, it's just so interesting because we've got all these wonderful scenarios, but he just comes in with this trump card, which is, hey, we could just leave. <laughs> well, yeah, we could just leave. We could just go right to Westeros right now. We could throw out this set of problems for a whole fresh set of problems and work on those. And, and he mentions that his daughter could never be a king in Westeros, that he wouldn't fit into that scheme. And, and then, as I mentioned, Dario says something similar in the sense of if you want to be the kind of queen who just basically has a lot of babies, then his door is the kind of guy for you. And so while Dario likely says things like that because he wants her as well, I think that it's just a good reminder for Danny that 
what is she trying to accomplish? Like we've been talking about and, and she could just, as Barrison says, focus on the goal, the original goal, which was to get here, gather an army, get out and, and take what's rightfully hers, as she would say, not to build a life and settle down, you know, and open up shop. And I know that she's already done, done that, but there's an opportunity for her to start thinking past what's happening here and and focus more a little bit on, well, how is that going to help me in Westeros? What do you think Dario's end goal is if he if he has one? Um, you know, I don't know. I think that's an interesting question. I think the thing that's interesting about Dario is what we know about him is from Danny's perspective. And so it's very much one sided because she loves him. And so I think it's difficult for me as a reader, as the type of reader that I am to like look at that in a way that Danny isn't looking at it. You know what I mean? And I think that he obviously brings to the table, as we've been discussing, a much more forceful approach and some darker impulses that I think that Danny has inside of her as well. But I don't know. I don't know what you think, but I think it's difficult for me to separate that from the way that Danny looks at him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know the answer. And I don't know if any mortal person does. Like, I don't know. I don't know if she should, if she should do that because life is weird or if she should do this because life continues after you're dead and mm-hmm. what you do matters. It's just, it's, it's hard to really narrow down. And George does such a fantastic job of making us, you know, sort of fret over this. And, you know, we feel uneasy like she does. And it's so funny because we're not that it really matters that much, but he makes Dario such a cartoonish character yeah. for a reason, yeah. you know, because <laughs> yeah. he knows how to he knows how to write Ned Starks or Jamie Lannister's and mm-hmm. not not to say that the, their personalities and their actions supersede or are superseded by their looks or, you know, the, the way that they're described. I'm not saying that what I am saying is that what I'm saying is that he just. You know, he's cartoony for a reason, and I think mm-hmm. he, rep- he he represents a lot of a lot of uh, flamboyancy and peacockery, and uh, you know just things in nature that someone like Daenerys doesn't come into contact with a lot because of right. the station that she has. So she doesn't, you know, it's it's just so unique and special to her. So I don't know, I don't know if she's in love with Dario or if she's just young. <laughs> yeah, I just don't know if she, you know, she's just trying to figure out all this stuff like we are. So I don't really that. As a reader of a story that another wiser human is writing for us, I'm trying to you know find out these lessons. And what I pull out of this is there's really no right or wrong answer. It's just whatever you choose is whatever happens. You mm-hmm. know. And so it seems like for now that she's not, you know, she's turning away from Dario, which is you know, I just think it's too early for her to blue hair and stuff. Just nah. That trident beard though. Yeah. You know what right. this reminds me of a little bit is Shay. Think so. Um, and t- only only in the way of that we kind of think about so so much of what we know and up into a certain point about Shay is from Tyrion's perspective and the way he feels about her. And then we all and then the way that that plays out with Tywin and and with Tyrion ultimately having to get rid of both of them. And so yeah. I don't know if this is one of those types of situations as well. Like, I think that that's a parallel that we can draw from the story so far that Dario may be a character like Shay. And I, I mean, I don't know if, if that's true or not, but it just kind of reminded me a little bit of that. There's definite parallels, not only to, to sexuality, but just companionship. Yeah. You know, and I think that Tyrion faced a lot of issues that a man in that situation would face, much like Daenerys is facing, you know, a, a set of issues that, that a woman in her position would be in. It's just fundamentally different in the world that they're living in. And in Tyrion's case, Shay is someone that he can that he can pay or not to have around. And in Daenerys's case, this is someone that could be threatening her entire rule because she should be getting married to someone else or something. It's just it's not equal. It's weird. She has much more absolute power than him. Yet it's like, you know, both situations are strange mm-hmm. on on the flip side. We have the small, subtle reactions happening between Heil Hunt and Brienne, which are based off a lot of those things as well. And a lot of her misgivings are rooted specifically in her experiences with men in the past. Yeah. And, you know, so just seeing all of this kind of pushed together, it feels like it's all in the same book. 
but it's not. It's separated between two books. It's only in the same book because you know we shoved them together. But even though they're you know technically in the same chronology, I just think it's fascinating that George R. R. Martin, like he's very consistently driving a, a pretty small handful of themes home in a lot of different ways. It, it reminds me a lot, honestly, of the uh, the way that Septon Marybald talked about the the seven gods and how yeah, there's seven gods, but they're one god, and within those seven gods, there's a cobbler to the smith. It's just there's levels to it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that one of the things that I think he does very well is write about womanhood in a lot of different ways and the different types of struggles that women can go through in points of power, in Danny's perspective, and then from Brian's perspective as somebody who, as you mentioned, has had a long and rough history. And so, as I kind of mentioned in the beginning, this is the one big parallel I see between these two chapters, which is two women in this world trying to figure things out um, for themselves in a very different way, coming from very different perspectives. And and I think that that adds a depth to the story that not every writer can accomplish. It's not perfect, but it's good. It feels real. It may mm-hmm. feel a little loose to people, and that might be part of the reason why Feast for Crows specifically, less so at Dance of Dragons, but it might, it might be why Feast for Crows feels a little wonky for people. But what he's doing is writing some real stuff. Like, I know that it might not be something that people need to hear over and over, need to be taught subtly over and over. But, you know, these relationships between men and women, you know, these conflicts, these struggles, it doesn't matter if she's out hunting for Sansa or if, you know, she just murdered three people at the Whispers and and things are pretty stressful. At the end of the day, what is Tarly talking about? What does she what does he think that she needs? You know, like at the end of the day, like what's going on between her and Hyle, even though it's subtle and it's not really driving the story at all. It's still it's in her mind when it comes to do I go to this inn and meet him or not? Like it's it's like no matter how big your job is, if you're ruling Marine or not, you know, these these things are going to work your way into your everyday interactions. And it's like the ones that are best at it, like Varys, who just, you know say nah I'm just gonna do all the business only you know like they Mm -hmm. tend to have better business (laughs) but it's like they're also (laughs) not we don't love them like we love everyone else right right some deep shit (laughs) (laughs) it's like a lot right now (laughs) it really is and Lady Stoneheart Catelyn is Beric Dondarrion's lover (laughs) undead lover yikes right who knew kiss me as if I were your wife Catelyn (laughs) (laughs) no thanks This episode of Game of Bones is brought to you by our friends at Blue Apron. Springtime is a great time to hit the reset button and retackle personal goals like getting fit, cleaning, and cooking. Luckily, Blue Apron makes incredible home cooking easy and accessible by delivering seasonal recipes with step-by-step instructions and pre-portioned ingredients right to your door all for less than $10 per meal. You can even customize your recipes based on your preferences and select a delivery option that's right for you. Plus, there's no weekly commitment, so you only get deliveries when you want them. Some of the meals available in June include warm smoked trout and asparagus salad with fingerling potatoes and garlic croutons, spiced zucchini enchiladas with creamy lime and tomato rice, elote-style vegetable tostadas with summer squash, poblano peppers, and cilantro rice, and peach honey-glazed chicken with mashed sweet potatoes collard greens and Thai basil we can't recommend blue apron enough it's become a staple of my household and a lot of my family members and it's just kind of like a an in joke with my friends and I sending pictures of it so we implore you to check them out and Hannah will tell you how you can check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash owns you will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with blue apron so don't wait that's blueapron.com slash owns Blue Apron, a better way to cook. We get this great slash awful slash classic slash not surprising scene <laughs> with Randall Tarly in the beginning of the Brienne chapter as we're talking about the types of things that Brienne has to deal with on a daily basis. So they head back with the heads of Shagwell, Pig, and Timian slung together and they drag them back and they um, present them to Lord Tarly. and. The conversation they basically have is that he wants to ship them out and Brienne says no because she wants to keep finding Lady Sansa and keep looking for him. And Tarly says, and I can't find it exactly in the books, but he makes some comment about how Brienne is a freak of nature. And I just feel like I know that we're consistently reading about these things in her chapters and we're consistently hearing in her head 
all of the different ways that she interacts with men but it just is it doesn't get any lighter or easier nope. um especially after she has her intentions to find Sansa are so pure and after she's doing you know she just had this great victory for herself um to still then have to interact with men like that who think that she is a freak well just imagine how it must have felt when Hyle was like if it please my lord i watched her fight the mummers she is stronger than most men and quick and he he just attributes it to the sword yeah because how dare this woman you know come into his camp and disrupt his dominance hierarchy like wait a second women are they can do those things too I can't, you know, he just can't handle it. Yeah. <laughs> and Hyle's like, hey, man, uh, I know it's weird, but I saw it happen. He's like, you know, stranger things have happened. Shadow babies, you know, we believe in seven gods. A woman might be able to fight. And do it well. If she wants to. Reading about Randall Tarley, man, what a guy, you know? What a guy, honestly. It makes me feel so bad for Sam. Well... So, <laughs> so yeah, well, <laughs> also he's lying about the brotherhood. I just want to throw that in. That's, that's, uh, I mean, I get it, but it's just what a small, small, sad man he is. I know. Honestly, I, know. I don't like him small. The brotherhood without banners are literally tracking and trying to find air quotes, the hound for the stuff that he air quotes did at salt pans. You have to use air quotes on a podcast because people can't see what you're doing. Right. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but he he made up. He made it up. He said, yeah, they're uh, bad guys, too. We should all go look for them. Everyone that's in our charge. We should go look for uh, Beric Dondarrion. The question is, why is he doing that? Because he wants to be the biggest man in the, in the camp. He wants to be the biggest man in the area. Mm-hmm. He can't quite be king. He'd love to be, I'm sure, but he just he can't handle it. He can't handle Brienne handling herself. You know, he can't handle a lot of things, and so this is, he couldn't handle Sam not being exactly what he wanted him to be. So yeah, he shipped exactly. him to the wall. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> God, exactly. So it's like this perceived strength is just. I mean, I don't know how someone could be so blind. You know, to to be in this position and to see all the people that follow him and to know that, you know, does anyone really give this guy respect after the way that he talks, interacts with people? Is it the right kind of respect? Is is there a right kind of respect? Is it just working? Yeah, Thanks, I was George. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I don't I don't think that it matters to him as long as he's got that. Also, position. I don't know if it matters at all. Yeah, Which, also, it doesn't yeah, matter at all, yeah. Valor okay. Goulis, they're just, you know, figuring <laughs> <Yeah>. this out. <laughs> yeah, we don't care about him, so. But Heil Hunt, he steps forward, and uh, after, this is after Tarly's like, you can't stay here. Thanks for killing these outlaws, which is our whole job. He goes, if it pleases my lord, I had understood that this was still Lord Mooton's roof. So he steps up. Mm-hmm. He, he goes to bat for Brienne. Why do you think he does that? I don't know. I think it's kind of a li- almost a little bit surprising. Why do you think? I feel like he's difficult to read. They've shared a lot. They have. And so, but I just was surprised because I, not surprised, but not necessarily expecting that just because I don't a hundred percent know how I feel about him Yeah, or what he wants to do and why he wants to go with them. I wonder if the way that she was treated by Tarly, if it created some kind of a good cop, bad cop dichotomy in her mind. And if we were kind of sucked into it as well, and maybe she shouldn't be falling in line with this guy. This is what she thinks during her meeting with Tarly. She says, his sort will never love me, Brienne thought, no matter what I do. It's just, you know, futile mm-hmm. in her mind. Yeah. He puts her up to the challenge because she has the royal order. He mentions Lady Stoneheart, and he basically says, how are you going to find him? And then after that is the the line where he basically says that Clegane and his pack should have their way with you, and then you can crawl back to Tarth with some dog's bastard in your belly. <laughs> it's like... Which is yikes. So there's probably going to be a pretty rewarding scene with that guy coming up later. I know. I mean, he's building out his karma right here. It's just like with uh, having to listen to Ramsey Bolton for days on days on days. And then we finally get some sort of satisfaction at the end. A little bit. A little bit. But so then Brienne basically can't sleep after all of this. And she has to continually remind herself that words are wind word yeah words are wind you know and she so she has a dream which i think is interesting after this whole exchange and conversation when she 
She she dreams of the men she killed. They danced around her, mocking her, pinching at her as she slashed at them with her sword. She cut them all to bloody ribbons, yet they still swarmed around her. And so just another instance of, you know, after all of this with, I just like calling him Randall, (laughs) his first name, because I think it's such a funny. It's a good um, name. It's just like so perfect. After this conversation with with Tarly and and kind of all of this, you know, I I like this. I don't like this, but this dream that she has is is interesting that all these men that she has killed and defeated and stood up to and done everything she's been asked for and kind of stood in their presence without faltering just haunt her continually in her sleep yeah and it's like no matter how much she is like them or can stand beside them or defeat them Mm -hmm. all of them at once it doesn't matter like they're in bloody ribbons they're still taunting her because it's like the problem isn't what she can do the problem is her right and she can't change that and it's really 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 sad Mm-hmm. And it's just a continual, I mean, she has these thoughts and dreams and feelings throughout her whole storyline. And so just kind of going back to that often. So picture that no pressure. Yeah. So. <laughs> she, she wakes up after they're looking all night for somewhere to sleep because she can't stay in town because the guy just doesn't like her. They see the Titan's daughter. Shout out, Aria. What's up? And they find a place to sleep. And she wakes up, she, you know, has the dreams. And so she goes and waits at the stinking goose, which is where Heil Hunt says to meet her because he has a lead on uh, a way to find the hound. He has a a friend that might be able to help. And she's sitting at the inn and she's drinking watered wine. And Podrick is drinking watered wine. He's drinking wine. It was like water. It was like wine flavored water or something. The way that I thought it was described so funnily <laughs> so grape juice yeah so Padre's just drinking <laughs> squeeze grapes and water yeah. i guess <laughs> we're just like old vinegar and water it's just a juice box yeah i just when i reached that part in the chapter and she was waiting for heil and she was going through some of these thoughts in her head about her past and about how it's just like why am i even doing this like yeah she should wow. even wait for him yeah it's just it, it felt so sad and she felt so defeated and that's one of the reasons why i love where this chapter went because when we meet up with septon marybald and this is you know i think it happens subtly before he gives his definitive broken man speech i just feel like through his experience and through his honesty that some of the pain was lifted yeah i felt like septa maribald is a character you know what i mean like I oh just, yeah this whole i can't help but laugh through everything that he is saying and he's talking about and having them all kind of then decide to trek out together whether brianne is hyped up about that in the beginning or not um he is definitely an interesting companion for them to kind of to be with and he's been through and so we talked about in this last chapter or in the Daenerys chapter about how these are not familiar places for us, like the way that these places are. And especially for Septon Maribald, who's been up and back and around all through these roads for the last 40 years. Um, 40 it all just years. Feels, feels very familiar. But Maribald is one who has all of these or has this information for them on how they can go find the Hound. And so... Um, there's also, as we're saying, rumors of Lady Stoneheart. And this is this is the part in the chapter where we get that um, Stoneheart is supposedly Lord Beric's lover, which <laughs> yeah. is just my favorite part of this That's whole entire chapter. Um, but don't think about it too much because it gets to be a lot. We also get this fine cut from Septon Maribald, uh, his opinion of hedges. There are many fine hedges <laughs> in the Riverlands, Maribald said. The old ones are the best. There's nothing that beats... A hundred-year-old hedge. Inside one of those, a man can sleep as snug as at an inn and with less fear of fleas. <laughs> he just... And he has a he dog has named so Dog. Many, yeah, he has so many little... like, And he also doesn't... He also hasn't worn shoes in 20 years. <laughs> he, has, he has hobbit feet. <laughs> so they all, like, this whole little squad heads out together. Yeah, this whole shoes thing I thought was hilarious. And I was just laughing so hard because he turned it into this big thing about the different gods that they serve oh he said i prayed to the cobbler above i turned my skin into leather (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, so he spends that first year with blisters before he even prays about it to turn his skin to leather. I haven't thought um, of doing that yet. I just got a new pair of shoes and they're not sitting <laughs> yeah, well. So that's what you're missing out on. Don't but spend a whole year walking with blisters. Pray to the podi- podiatrist above or something because I feel like a cobbler would just make you better shoes, not make your feet into shoes. <laughs> well, that's basically what Podrick, he's like, <laughs> yeah. what are you talking about? <laughs> basically. He goes, there is no cobbler above. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, which of the seven gods do you love best? And he's like, the warrior. Maribald's like, yeah, of course. Every teenage boy that I've come across, all of the warrior. We he's get like, it. I bet you want to be in Gryffindor too. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> we get it. Podrick, we get it. Grand clears her throat. At Evenfall, my father stepped and always said that there was but one god. So they go through this whole, yeah, they go through this whole thing about the gods, just kind of off of his shoes. And then at the very end, <laughs> Heil finally pipes up and he says well the gods are good and he says so Hyle said in the dry voice but why trouble them when you might have just kept your shoes yep and it's funny but it goes into him he tells us why that you know he took his shoes off 20 years ago he was a wicked man it's real he was a wicked man he he used his knowledge to manipulate people and use them for selfish reasons to deflower maidens to deflower maidens and who knows what else that's probably the least of it Mm -hmm. so it was real so we can make fun of him not wearing shoes but i mean he had some reasoning behind it the high sparrow would really like this guy yeah i know he would (laughs) he just needs a weird shoes for 20 years (laughs) respect He's like, you know, it's always nice when you meet people that like really fit in your squad. Mm-hmm. And it's like all of those guys are best friends with other barefooted men. But you know, the High Sparrow has only not been wearing shoes for like six months. It's probably been six weeks yeah, ever since he heard it about been it. That long at all? Well, do you? What do you make of these theories that like uh, Septon Mary Ball's the High Sparrow? Crackpot Corner. Yeah. Um. Nah. What about Rhaegar Targaryen washed up from the uh, Trident? Nah. no i'm not into any of that i mean do you think there's any truth baby (laughs) i've read theories about septon maribald for years and i think we're probably going to save it for our next episode with him because we'll have more time and he'll be at his home and you get to meet the high elder yeah i think that's his name something like that but you get to meet the elder and there's more things to to grab into but just there's a lot of weird thoughts about this person i i read something where there's a theory that he was the septon that married rhaegar and liana on the isle of faces Ooh, yeah that's kind of that's good i like that maybe because he was you know downtrodden and they just trusted that people would expect the high septon instead of some you know ragged preacher with no shoes because mm-hmm. <laughs> he wouldn't well, have had shoes at that time he would just it wouldn't have been as leathery sometimes so this is my th- thought on septum maribald and number one i think we should add this to the uh crackpot theories panel at con of thrones um number two when we have these characters who i don't understand a lot about and like you said we can have a little bit more of a conversation in the next couple of chapters part of me wonders if it's like is this just our a song of ice and fire paranoia of there has to be like 8,000 different people that he could be, or maybe he's just some, some guy. guy who doesn't wear shoes. I don't I know, know. He was so honest. We learned so much about him and his thoughts later in the chapter give us so much perspective on the kind of people that are in the world. They're things that you might've been thinking subtly people, but what he does is he lays it out. Mm-hmm. He, he does lay- a really good job. Yeah. It's, and they adapted it. Not completely, not near the same, but, I was glad that they did in some regard and just quick sidebar. I thought, especially after rereading this chapter in McShane was the perfect sort of replacement oh, yeah. for this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. I could almost you know, picture him a little bit, but I think that this whole speech is a theme that we, all of a feast for crows is, which is contextualizing this war. And, you know, we go from Danny and Marine, and I know that she's far away um, on her, top of her pyramid dealing with these problems and so much of what we see is from these key players very much removed from the day-to-day handling these types of situations and handling these wars and handling these conflicts and then in this whole speech Septim Maribald really breaks down like what it's like for everybody else and what it's like for 99% of the people who live in this world to live through the consequences of war and 
A Feast for Crows does a really good job of, for all of its faults, and also for all of, I think that this can go both ways, but it does a good job of putting us in the shoes and in the spot of people who are on the ground and like spending time in, especially these Brienne chapters, in the rest of the world. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Definitely. And it's one of the reasons why I like it so much is because we get the the mud huts and the the Cranig people, you know, on, on the on the winding path, and we learn that they're you know so insignificant to the overall story that not even the outlaws mess with them. It's a lot of uh, I don't know. It, it widens the world out, and and again, it's important that we learn these things that Brienne's going through. It's not Daenerys or Jon Snow pulling a flaming sword out of something and chopping the great white walker down and the whole story's over but it is brienne and brienne is someone that does something in the story and she is learning how to grow into a, a bit a, a fuller version of herself so she can be of use in the wars mm-hmm. to come mm-hmm. yeah and it's, it's on a much smaller scale like you said but it doesn't make it less important also podrick is growing let's not forget also podrick is <laughs> We should only talk about Patrick in this chapter. <laughs> I just think he has so many great lines. But we're here to deliver a treat to everyone. We're going to read the broken man speech set to music. So turn up your stereos or your iPhone speakers. <laughs> Sir, my lady, said Patrick, is a broken man an outlaw? More or less. Septon Maribald disagreed. More less than more. There are many sorts of outlaws, just as there are many sorts of birds. A sandpiper and a sea eagle both have wings, but they are not the same. The singers love to sing of good men forced to go outside the law to fight some wicked lord, but most outlaws are more like this ravening hound than they are the lightning lord. They are evil men driven by greed, sourced by malice, despising the gods and caring only for themselves. Broken men are more deserving of our pity, though they may be just as dangerous. Almost all are common-born, simple folk who had never been more than a mile from the house where they were born until the day some lord came round to take them off to war. Poorly shod and poorly clad, they march away beneath his banners. Oft times with no better arms than a sickle or a sharpened hoe, or a maul they made themselves by lashing a stone to a stick with strips of hide. Brothers march with brothers, sons with fathers, friends with friends. They've heard the songs and stories, so they go off with eager hearts, dreaming of the wonders they will see, of the wealth and glory they will win. War seems a fine adventure, the greatest most of them will ever know. Then they get a taste of battle. For some, that one taste is enough to break them. Others go on for years until they lose count of the battles they have fought in. But even a man who has survived a hundred fights can break in his hundred and first. Brothers watch their brothers die. Fathers lose their sons. Friends see their friends trying to hold their entrails in after they've been gutted by an axe. They see the Lord who led them there cut down, and some other Lord shouts that they are his now. They take a wound, and when that's still half healed, they take another. There is never enough to eat, their shoes fall to pieces from the marching, their clothes are torn and rotting, and half of them are sheeting in their breeches from drinking bad water. If they want new boots or a warmer cloak, or maybe a rusted iron half-helm, they need to take them from a corpse. And before long, they're stealing from the living too, from the small folk whose lands they're fighting in, men very much like the men they used to be. They slaughter their sheep and steal their chickens, and from there it's just a short step to carrying off their daughters too. And one day they look around and realize all their friends and kin are gone, that they're fighting beside strangers beneath a banner they hardly recognize. They don't know where they are or how to get back home, and the lord they're fighting for does not know their names. Yet here he comes, shouting for them to form up, to make a line with their spears and scythes and sharpened hoes, to stand their ground. And the knights come down on them, faceless men clad all in steel, and the iron thunder of their charge seems to fill the world. And the man breaks. He turns and runs or crawls off afterward over the corpses of the slain or steals away in the black of night and he finds some place to hide. All thought of home is gone by then and kings and lords and gods mean less to him than a haunch of spoiled meat that would let him live another day or a skin of bad wine that might drown his fear for a few hours. The broken man lives from day to day, from meal to meal, more beast than man. Lady Brienne is not wrong. In times like these, the traveler must beware of broken men and fear them. But he should pity them as well. And then there's a profound silence for good reason. Dog is panting softly. So he well, he fought in the War of the Nine Penny Kings, mm-hmm. lost people, 
nearly lost his own life. Says he never saw a king nor earned a penny. And those were someone else's struggles. Those were, you know, Targaryen conflicts with their with their bloodline, you know, handling out their own problems. And he's talking about all these people that you, you kind of imagine them, right? You think of like Cleos Frey, you think of people hiding in the woods. You think of what, what must have turned the people that are in the Brave Companions into the, you know, kind of people that would chop off Jamie's hand and do everything else that they've done, which, you know, we've seen the least of it. We've heard of probably the least of it. These are the kinds of people who are fighting these battles and who are kind of reaping the consequences and who are living with this in their day to day. Yeah. Um, when we spend most of our time in King's Landing or in all of these different castles where there is hardship and there is politicking and fighting and all that kind of thing. But just the way he describes how one day they look around and they realize that their friends are gone, their family's gone, and they don't know who they're fighting besides. Um, it's just re a really powerful representation of war. And if we could pivot it to the modern mind, think of what breaks people in our current environment. We don't have the same struggles. We have things that are very near it. We have, we still have nations and we still have conflicts that are geopolitical and that's fine. But if you could, if you could like contextualize it into the the struggles of a modern person, or at least the kind of person that would be able to listen to this podcast, you can kind of, you know, see where George is leaning in certain directions. And uh, I think that the biggest takeaway here is just knowing that the only reason we trust what this guy is saying is because he's seen the darkness, he's been the darkness and he, mm -hmm. you know, chose to come out of it and to say, I don't like that at all and i don't like people that like that at all and he you know just decided that it wasn't good mm -hmm. <laughs> and not all of them get to do that and that's part of the tragedy of these wars and you know these people who have a totally different set of problems than folks like Tyrion, who are trying to hide someone that he's in love with you know these people are trying to not starve so much that they you know start stealing and murdering people right that's good it's i think that the paragraph after the speech that we touched on is perfect because it's very the, the profound silence that follows. Um, I think it's very much how we as a reader feel because it's just such an incredibly sobering couple paragraphs. So I'm giving my own to the broken man. Speech. How can you not? <laughs> That's what it's been referred to. I'm just going to give it to Septon Maryball and to also to dog. Because he kills wolves. We didn't even talk about the wolves, but Nymeria is Roman, man. I know. That's what I was going to give my own to because we okay. didn't have a chance to touch on it. But I want to give my own to this pack of wolves led by a monstrous she-wolf <laughs> who eats men. She makes the Xena noise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she only eats the blood of the flesh of men. She won't feast on another animal. <laughs> Can Probably not even that? women either. So that's even funnier. My second own goes to the line where it says, Podrick did not know what to make of a dog named Dog. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stop seeing Dan's face, like being perplexed at the idea of a dog being named Dog. Oh, God, he's such a good project. <sighs> anyway. I love him. And for the Daenerys chapter. for the, So for the Danny chapter, I'm going to give my own to Dario um, because I'm just going to. Uh, I'm going to give <laughs> to this line where uh, he's telling her to escape. And she says, where should I escape to? He goes into my bed, into my arms, into my heart. The hilts, the hilts of Dario's Agra and Stiletto were wrought in the shape of golden women, naked and wanton. He brushed his thumbs across them in a way that was remarkably obscene and smiled a wicked smile. It's so funny. I'm going to give my own to that scene because I just <laughs> I love how. He just smiles and looks at her, and it's so perfect. So get it, Dario, you do you. I kind of want to give it to the Green Grace for having the gall to talk about his daughter being in a prophecy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's like, I've heard prophecies. <laughs> hmm. I want to give it to this moment. Danny speared a chunk of lamb, took a bite from it, chewed slowly. Tell me, can this king puff his chinks up and blow Zaro's galleys back to Karth? Can he clap his hands and break the siege of Astapor? Can he put foods in the bellies of my children and bring my peace to my streets? It's not. It's not just the the smart snarky things she said. I just love that she spears a chunk of lamb and chews it, and They're just looks talking with her mouth full. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's the Danny they really like to adapt on the series, mm -hmm. and like it came out big time in that chunk right there of lamb. That's my own. That's good. Those are good owns. So those were our owns. We're gonna read some of yours now. 
as we normally do. Thank you for sending them. First, we have from Twitter, we have Heathen King at Heathen King, who says, Owned to Ghost of High Heart, identified as the Woods Witch who named the line of Eris and Rayla spawning the prince who was promised. The Woods Witch. We didn't get to that. There's a lot. I was texting Jeff about it. I'm like, all my Tyrion <laughs> theories are like rustling. <laughs> and then... We're saving it. We're saving it. Don't worry. And then for Brienne 5, owned to that elusive wraith name dropped a few times in this chapter. Now this woman's Stoneheart, dot, dot, dot. Beauty Brienne writes, owned to Deanne, Deanne, owned to Danny for recognizing Dario as a bad influence with questionable taste and fashion and sending him away ASAP. And also, the broken man speech gets my other own because, damn, honorable mention to the idea of Stoneheart being Barry's lover. <laughs> Hashtag no thank you, please. Same, same, same. Thank you. Thank you for sending in your owns. Thank you for sending in pictures of Dario. If you want to send in your own fan art photos of Dario or your other owns, you can do that in lots of different ways. You can find us on Twitter at Game of Owns. You can find us on Facebook at Game of Owns. Or you can send us a email to contact at gameofowns.com. I'm going to retweet that Dario thing right now. Oh, also, so <laughs> I'll text it to you, but I found the funniest um, Jon Snow Father's Day card that someone else made, so I couldn't put, I didn't want to put it on Instagram, and it said, I, reg- I regularly think about you, father, <laughs> or something. <laughs> it was really funny. And if you're not listening to our new show, Rewatch the Throne, why? 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 you like, why? <laughs> <laughs> it's a great way to fill your time as we prep for season seven. So we are deep into season two, not deep into season two, but we're in the middle of season two. So lots of great stuff to go back and revisit. Melisandre just birthed the shadow baby. Davos is concerned. <laughs> What's going to happen next? <laughs> our, our third co-host is also concerned. Again, Evan doesn't know much about Game of Thrones. He's just coming through it with us as we watch the throne trucks along. And it's been it's been very interesting to it's have revelations like that happen to someone <laughs> who has no idea what's in Game of Thrones. <laughs> so you can... Listen to the new show at rewatchthethrone.com. We recently joined the lineup of new shows on Stitcher Premium, and we're very excited about that. You can get Stitcher, I think, in your car, on your phone. It's like the only thing that scares iTunes. We're really excited to mm-hmm. uh, be a part of it. So check out Rewatch the Throne if you'd like. You can also head over to our Patreon um, which is patreon.com slash goo. And we post our episode notes that we take before we record. Um, if you want to read through some of the things that we didn't get to in the episode or just other little thoughts that we've got so those go up and we also have our squad of ice and fire which is always a thrill (laughs) so (laughs) you can head over to patreon.com slash goo and check all that out for our next episode we're planning something very special and it's going to come out pretty soon so i know we're 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 uh about to queue up for a lot of activity with the con being in like a week and a half i'm losing my mind i'm very excited and terrified it's gonna be a lot of fun to meet you guys um also the season seven (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say also season seven is happening yeah somebody asked me today they saw me they're like hey season seven's coming up fast and i was like oh yeah yep (laughs) (laughs) thanks for the reminder (laughs) so thank you for listening we hope that you enjoyed our episode with joanna it was uh, it was just so fun getting to talk to her about all this new stuff while it's Mm -hmm. happening it was it was the best it's just it's great to kind of rally the troops as we head into the con and this season and and do it all together so we had a really good time so please stay with us these next few months are going to be a lot of fun for now we leave you we'll see you soon